morning, everybody. Give the Lord praise this morning. Good to be in God's house. Always good to be in God's house in His presence with His people. So we're here, we're running a little behind, but we want to move right into Sunday school and see what God has for us. Dig into the Word, learn something new. We're going to pray that God enlightens us and opens our eyes to something new in the Word. So let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your blessings in our lives, Lord God. And we just ask as we learn your Word, Lord God, that you open our hearts and minds and you enlighten us with something new, Lord God. You show us and reveal us some of the secret things that are hidden, the mysteries that are hidden within the Word, Lord God. You reveal that to us. We just ask that your Holy Spirit just move freely throughout this building this morning and just touch hearts and touch lives and meet the needs of each and every one here. And we just thank you for this chance to be here and this chance to learn your word in Jesus' name. Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, I've, I don't normally advertise, but I got some dogs if y'all want some. <laughs> I got plenty. Thank you, brother. Free. Totally free. <laughs> Long story. Well, it's good to be back in God's house again. Uh, we have our new uh, new study guides. Has everyone got the new ones? Full full size. John, No, I don't. Th- it's the same thing, but they they revised everything. So it'll take it'll take a little getting used to, but that's okay. I mean, we're good with change, aren't we? We're good with it. We we got so we got some compliments already. You know, it's kind of funny how you do you you approach things like that because when I first I seen them, you know, when you you get out of your comfort zone, the size of the book already took me out of my comfort zone, and I was upset. I was like, "What is this?" And then yeah, and then I stash it, and then when I opened it up, I was like, "And they revised it." I mean, I'm quitting. <laughs> you know, you know, just the mentality of, 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 but that's not. I was just joking, but yeah, I didn't. Yeah, <laughs> we don't like change. All right, page, page, <laughs> page one in our study guides. The great story begins. Central truth, and I was glad that they still had a central truth. Uh, God is both creator and sovereign overall. Now, sovereign uh, meaning the head of. Okay, so uh, sovereign overall. Yet he is uh, intimately involved in the lives of his people. It's something that we've talked about uh, a lot of times in here, um, and the role of, of God with man. And that's I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that, but that's really important stuff to, to consider, because we we gotta we gotta ask ourselves what first of all what God what is God not what is he not well he's not a God who sits on this throne and looks down on us and we are completely disconnected. Is he a God on the throne? Yes. But he is a God who is, is connected with his people. And, and they use the word there, and you, you've got to catch that word. The word is intimately. He's intimately involved with his people. So the, the way I always associate that is, okay, think about somebody in your life who you're intimately involved with, and you think about the things that kind of come along with that that make that a relationship, make that a, some, a, quality, a quality relationship. Whatever you're, whatever you're doing to make that intimate, there's a lot of parallels there. And so God wants to deal with us intimately. And I think what the, the problem is, a lot of times, is we don't necessarily want God to be intimate. And, I, and I'm, I'm just being honest. This is something that God's dealt with me about is, is that, you know, they, uh, they want, we want God as, as a God who fixes things and takes care of things. And he's almighty and he's, he's, he's strong. But it, and that's all great. As long as he keeps my life in check and everything goes the way it needs to, but I've noticed over the years and as time is that that a lot of Christians don't necessarily want God on an intimate level. They don't necessarily want to know him. They just want to know that what he can do. Can you get me out of this? And can you deliver me? And can you do all these things for me? Yes, he can do all of those things, but it all stems from the basis of intimacy. It all comes from the basis of having a relationship. So I just want to lay it out there because we're going to be talking a little bit about that as we go. Um, let's go ahead and uh, go to Let's Get Started. It's a new 
new introduction to the study. This lesson is the beginning of a flyover view of the entire Bible. During these 13 weeks, we will hit the main points of the Old and New Testaments. I think this is great. We're going to cover the whole thing in highlights. Now, I also want to say this. There's, the only negative about that is as we cover this, there's no way in the world I can actually sit here and cover everyone because everyone is like a message in and of itself. So when it says fly over, we're literally going to be flying over these things. And I know everyone, and it's great, we're still going to do comments, we're still going to do everything that we've done before, but I'm going to try to get through them because in the past they had like a main topic and then, then they just had support chapters to support one main topic. It's not the way they're doing this. They're doing this in sections, literally individual stories every single time. So as we cover those, you know, we're going to have to kind of get through that to make sure we can get to the very end because I really want to try to finish up. Uh, you'll see the underlying message of the whole of Scripture, the message that God loves you and has paid the ultimate price to save you from your sins. We all say? Amen. Amen. That price was the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. Okay, let's read... Uh, no, 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 I'm not done yet. That's not section one. <laughs> All right, hold on. Just, just bear with me. The word Genesis is most easily defined as beginning. So it is appropriate that the book of Genesis forms the starting points for what follows through the Old and New Testament. Many of the great doctrines of the Bible are introduced in Genesis. Its, themes, its theme reflects the theme of Scripture, our redemption from sin. And we've talked about that before, is that the Old Testament is type and shadow of the New Testament. It was basically a foretelling of everything to come. Everything that is in the Old Testament, now as you get to studying this, you get to start seeing the interconnection. It's all linked to Jesus. All of it. The, the reason you get the Old Testament, yes, and, and some have even referred to it as a history lesson. Uh, yes, it's a great history lesson. Absolutely. Amen. But that's not all it's good for. It's not just good for history. It's, it's good for the telling of what was going to come about and what was going to happen uh, with the Savior known as Jesus Christ. So I want you to understand that because a lot of times believers write off the Old Testament as being, well, it's, you know, it's useless. Oh, it's far from that. Oh, it's useful. If you, if you, the way I look at it, and it's just my own view, if you really want to dig in and you really want to find out the, the, the entire plan, you really want to get into some deep stuff, read the Old Covenant. Amen. Amen. Old Covenant is good. And, and I've, I've, I would say that um, I've learned a lot. I mean, obviously, my whole life is based on the New Testament, of course. But I've not, I've not found any place where I've learned more than from the stories of the Old Covenant and Levitical law. And you think, oh, that sounds so boring. And I said the exact same thing. I said, I just, who would want to read all of that stuff. When you open up Leviticus and you start reading, you start to get an eye-opening uh, experience as to really what everything we live for was based on in the or, uh, originally. I mean, a lot of it would come from Levitical law, uh -huh. even though it's not exactly the same anymore, but a lot of it stems from that. Okay. All right, so it's, uh, it establishes God as our creator, then proceeds with the story of God's interaction with his creation. Okay. Reading our scriptures this morning. We start in, out in creation. We we uh, find out why we were created. Yes. And that was to serve him and praise and honor him. Praise him. One thing I do like is there's a little bit bigger print. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> and unfortunately, even though it has bigger print, I still had to pull it away from me. <laughs> but it is better. Sean, if you would. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what 
he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name gave the name Isaac to the son of Sarah bore him. Then the man said, let, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Then the man asked him, what, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans have overcome. And Joseph <clears throat> said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one whom you sold to Egypt. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. Very good. Thank you, sir. All right, section one, God the loving creator. Theologians and scientists have debated for centuries about the origin of the universe. Even those who agree that God created the earth differ on their interpretations of the timing and methods he used. Let's, I want to say something here about that. And it's that I like studying those type of things. And I think in order, you know, if you really want to study stuff, that's good stuff to study. But I think sometimes Christians get hung up on it. They get really hung on, you know, did it happen this way or did it happen that way? Did, and then they say, well, you know, it's, we, we need to know that. We need to know that it happened this way and that way. And I don't think that's necessarily true. I like to study and I like to learn as much as I can. But one thing that I, I always want to try to remind myself of in my studies is that don't get hung up on the things that really don't matter. And you think, well, what, is it, what does that matter? And that's subjective, too, because that's all going to depend on you. You're going you're gonna to decide what matters and what doesn't. But if you're a Christian, then what matters is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. So let's use that as a focal point. Sometimes we can get off track saying, well, I think it happened this way, and I think it happened that way, and I think it should happen this way. And especially, especially if it causes division between you and another brother or sister. That's, that's really, no, keep your hands off that stuff. I mean, I've had to learn that from that from my own experiences. You think, well, y'all ain't, ain't doing your studies. You look at this, and it says this, and the Greek word says this, so it means this. And it's like, look, don't get hung on that. Don't. Don't get hung on that. Your studies are your studies, but your studies are not everyone else's studies. And so sometimes I've seen people get really hung on that stuff, and they're like they want to prove a point. Um, it's not healthy to always walk around thinking you should need to prove a point. <laughs> it's not. Uh, beyond debates about specifics, we know that our powerful God created the universe and has a marvelous plan for us. I think it's a fundamentalism. As a Christian, you need to believe that God created the universe and created all things. I mean, that's just basic fundamentals. In the beginning, God created. These words affirm the existence of Almighty God as creator of everything. They reject materialism. Now, let me tell you, let's talk about materialism for a minute. Materialism is the doctrine that nothing exists except matter. Now, I'm not going to get into the, the philosophy of all of, that, all of that, but that's what materialism is. And see, objectively, the Bible states that uh, in the beginning, God created. Objectively. We're basing that on something that has proven itself over time. That's God's word, right? So if God's word is, is, is proven itself over time... It doesn't and has not given me any reason to believe that anything else should be wrong or faulty. And as such, you should do your own homework anyway to prove it. I, I say this, I've said this before in conversation with my own kids, and I try to tell them, look, if you're going to state something, make sure you got info to back it up. If you're going to state something, make sure you can back it up and you can hold your own. But if you can't, then you're just talking about feelings. And especially when we're talking about God's word, you say, well, I feel that this Bible says this. You better get out of that business because that gets you in trouble. You got to be able to back it up structurally, be able to open the word and say, well, look, this says this right here. This is what I base this on. I've studied this. I found it to be uh, relevant. It works. 
it's true. That's that's objective stuff. So when we when we say um, we start talking about materialism, John, I'm, I'm wrong, but I'm sorry. When we start talking about materialism, that's the that's the doctrine that nothing exists except for matter, meaning that that rejects the idea that there is this invisible God somewhere out of time that runs everything. You see, there's two different things. So you can't have this idea that God kind of exists. He's he's out there somewhere. There's some big there's some big guy out there somewhere kind of running everything. No, he's either God the creator or it's, I don't believe in that. It's one or the other. And so the Bible rejects materialism, okay? That's what it's saying here. Distinguishing between God and his creation because God created the universe. It belongs to him and he controls it. I, I love that. And, I, and I'll tell you why I like it. I've said, I've said this a lot of times. You think, you know, you ask yourself the question. I've caught myself in that before asking myself questions that actually are like loops. They're not actually going to lead me anywhere. It's just me complaining. And I just ask the question anyway. Well, when it says the universe belongs to him and he controls it, one of the things that I think is really good and healthy for a Christian to understand is that when God, when somebody owns something, it's like somebody's land. When somebody owns something, they own land, it's their business to do whatever they want with it. It's theirs. You can do whatever you want with it. I have no business coming onto your property and telling you how you need to do your property. I don't. You don't have any business doing that to, to, to anyone. If, if you did, that'd be socialism. Okay, so, so we don't practice that though. And, and I look at God much the same way in the way that if he's the creator of the universe, he owns everything because he created it. You think, well, what about this pew? I'm just using this as a, as a kind of a goofy example. I created this pew. I built this pew. But God created you. Amen. Therefore, he owns the pew. All right? Uh-huh. So, so there's nothing that he can't touch. If he created, if he started the world with a void <clears throat> substance, and then it, it, and it grew, everything within that realm, he owns it. And so my, my, my thinking on that has always been, it's God's business. He can do whatever he wants. I'm not going to try to interfere with that. Who am I to come along and tell him what he's supposed to do? Uh-huh. Well, sometimes we get involved in things that we don't have any power over, and really, we just need a perspective change. It's not that, it's not that you know, we have got all these opinions, and we think, well, yeah, I think it should be this way, or I think it should be that way, and I don't understand why this is happening and why that's happening. You know what? God's in control, and if he sees fit, it's his business. I'll let him do whatever he wants. Uh-huh. And, and that goes, that's, from, that's from on a worldwide scale all the way down to a service. And what happens in these four walls? Whatever he wants to do, you go ahead and do it. Now, you don't got to like it. You don't have to agree with it. And, and that's okay. That's fine. But as a, as a Christian, we have to know our place. And my place is as a servant. I serve. That's what I'm supposed to do. I serve. He tells me, I go. My position is not to, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't, I, don't, uh, I don't teach the teacher. You with me? I don't teach the teacher. I don't, teach, I don't, I don't, I don't issue um, counsel to the counselor. My place is a servant. So, as such, I treat it as such. It's his business. You can do whatever you want with it. Go ahead, Jim. Well, you're talking about that bench. You know, God created the wood that is made out of right. the trees. Mm-hmm. He also created what you're made of. Right, absolutely. And everything that was made, God made. Everything. There's there's nothing that we can't attach to that ultimate creation. All right, let's finish this up. Next, Genesis focuses specifically on planet Earth, which was formless, dark, and covered with water. Check that out in in Genesis and really try not to look at it as a story. Oh, that's a neat story. No, if we're looking at it objectively, that's what happened, okay? The world without form, void, covered in water. Uh-huh. The Spirit of God hovered over the water. That's what it said. That's exactly what happened. Have you ever considered the order of the universe? How do the planets and stars stay on their paths without wandering off and crashing into one another? What about the human body? How does the human brain, which is about 2% of the total body weight, tell your big toe to wiggle when you want it to? Um, it's one of the arguments that have been made many times by scholars, and I've, I've actually listened to some of these debates. Um, 
is that there's too many things on planet Earth that are made so intricately and so perfectly that there's no way in the world it was done on accident. Amen. No way. Many scholars have agreed with that. And they've said, even if you don't believe it, you say, well, I don't, I don't believe in, I don't believe in this, this total creation by God. Well, you have to agree with the fact that somebody's behind this. And the only evidence that we have on documentation is God the Father as total creator of the universe. There's no reason to believe that it's anything else. Now, you understand, I'm coming from two different angles here. I'm, I'm coming from the, the physical and proof angle, and I'm also coming from the spiritual angle. I know I believe. I believe without seeing. But there's so much evidence out there that, that simply states God exists, he's alive, he's real, and he's, he's involved with you and me on a continual basis. It's interesting. There was a bunch of LAPD retired detectives for about 30-some years, and he was an atheist, and he set out prove the Bible wrong, prove there was no God, all this in, in a forensic way. I mean, he, yes, he tells I think I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah, he began to break things down. Well, he ultimately gave his life to the Lord, proved there is a God, the Bible is real, yep. and it's a very, if you read, I can't remember his name, but uh, I think he wrote a book about it. Yes. It's still interesting. Yeah, I think they've got a movie out. I watched yeah. that movie. Very, very good. Uh, uh, you know, and I want to say this and then we'll keep moving. When, and it's something I learned from reading that story, if it's the same story, is that when you have the facts in front of you and get them in front of you, you have to start to make a decision whether you're going to believe or not because if you believe, then it should push you in a particular direction. You can't deny facts. When they're sitting right in front of you and it says, this is real, here it is, we're going to have to either deny or we're going to have to believe. You're going to have to do one or the other. And something I've really seen that disturbs me in this day and time is that people don't even care about facts anymore. And that's disturbing because that makes our witness more difficult. The, the thing that seems to be more important than anybody is just simple opinion and narrative. It's like, well, you know, you might believe that there's a God and you may have all the facts in the world right in front of you. But you know what? I believe that there's this, or there's that, or I'm my own God. I don't need any facts. That's just what I believe. Our society's taking high opinion and putting it first. And that's disturbing. That should be, that's, as I tell my kids, that's loony bin material. <coughs> it's loony. You don't take, you don't deny facts when they're in front of you. And, and no different than with, uh, with God. Okay, note the order of creation. The first day he made light. The fourth day, light bearers. The second day made expanses of water and atmosphere. The fifth day birds to fly in one expanse and fish to swim in the other. The third day he made dry land and plants. The sixth day animals and man to live on the land and eat the plants. The creation of humanity in God's image refers largely to a capability for righteousness and holiness. Humanity did not come about by chance. And in agreement with what Jim had said, we are... We are here, and we have scripture to back it up. We are here to praise the Lord. Amen. We are here for service to him. Now, that's not what our culture teaches, and that's not what our culture says. And, and it's, it's almost disturbing for people that have not grown up in that and even ever heard anything about it. And then you tell them that, and they're like, what? No. No, 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 no. There's something bigger going on here than just getting older, retiring, and then fizzling out. Something bigger going on than just that. I mean, I, I, I think about this the other day. I, I want to retire. Now, whether I'm here or not for that, who knows? I, I want to retire like anyone else would. I want to retire a good retirement. But I, then I start to really think about it and think, well, what is, I mean, ultimately, what is the value of, of any of it if the life after I pass away isn't secure? Uh -huh. Come on. I mean, I'm only going to be here for 85, 90 years. I'm hoping, you know, I'd like to live a good long life. Who wouldn't? But what, what does it all matter? Think about it. What, what, where's the value in all of it? You think, well, I accomplished this, and I've done all this, and I was able to, to secure a good, a good retirement, and I was able to accumulate things. Great. But, you know, you read Solomon, and he said some really, really tough things 
Because, I mean, Solomon not only was the wisest, but he's also the richest. And I always think that Solomon is one of the greatest examples to ever consider what someone's saying because he's coming from the angle of being absolutely rich, filthy, filthy, rich. There was no one richer than him. He had everything. And he said it himself. This stuff is disturbing. This stuff bothers me. And I always think it's funny because everyone is always striving for some sort of version of that. Everybody always wants all of that stuff and they want to attain that. And he's like, this stuff is disturbing because when I'm gone, I got to give it to someone else. And it bothered him. It bothered him that there was something after this and everything that you worked for here was ultimately going to be passed on to someone else. And he, he really looked at it and he was like, then if that's the case, then why do we put so much emphasis on it? Great question. Thought provoker. It's like, what are we doing then? We need to be secure in our eternity. Because biblically, you can argue it if you want, biblically it says that, that there's an eternity somewhere. Biblically there's going to be an eternity in heaven, or biblically there's an eternity in hell. And if you look up that word eternity, that means without end. So here, I'm limited. 85, 90 years. Wherever I go after this, though, is the ultimate retirement plan. So I think I need to spend a little more time thinking about that than so much what I can gain here. And is gain good? Yeah, it's great. As long as it's done within parameters of God. As long as it's done within the parameters of God. Okay. Let's keep moving. Um, and I said that I ended that section with humanity did not come about by chance. Absolutely. All right, section two. God used the chosen people to carry out his plan. Genesis 3 records humanity's fall into sin, which resulted in the sinfulness of every human being. Violence and corruption led to the flood, which devastated the earth. Yet as humanity continued through Noah, sinfulness remained. Okay, so we know that that's, our, that's humanity's history. Um, I like going to museums and I like checking stuff out because I like to know where things come from. I like origins. I could spend hours and hours in a museum and just read. Just leave me alone. <laughs> Let me read and learn. I like that. I like that stuff. That's very intriguing to me. And so when you go back, go back and, and once again, we refer to this as a bit of history. Go back and look where humanity got its start. Look how it all began. Look at how it began with Adam and Eve and look how it began with, with, with Noah and, and the sin, what sin caused. What did sin cause? What, 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 what happened? God was so distressed over the fact that he even created man that he said, we got to get rid of this stuff. We're going to flood this place. And so the, the sin, though, hasn't changed any. The same type of sin that, was, that got the earth flooded then is the same type of sin that destroys now. Uh -huh. that, that, that version hasn't changed. It's still the same. Uh, once again, the only difference is, is we live in, a, in the New Testament. Um, and I'm not going to get into what I think is going to happen or any of that stuff. That doesn't really matter. What matters is that we understand what sin is, where it comes from. It has, sin has a history lesson behind it. And you can't, don't forget that. There's, there's a history with sin. Look at its history. Look at, look at what sin does when it's in, induced, into a, or introduced, I'm sorry, introduced into a society. Look what happens when people take it and run wild with it. Look at Sodom and Gomorrah. And people today are fighting for the right to literally live in a Sodom and Gomorrah. They want the right to do it. I mean, California just passed a law that literally allows pedophilia. Look it up. If you don't know that happened, it happened. And it's funny because it slipped in under the radar. And now you've got a state that actually supports that. That ought to blow your mind. Not only that will blow your mind, that ought, that ought to raise a flag of awareness and say, what in the world has just happened? How did it happen? And how can I make sure that doesn't happen here? Yes. Amen. I'm, uh, I don't know how to even express it anymore, how disturbing that is. Um, but God's people, God's, people, God's people need to fight for their rights and fight for godly rights and fight against the sanction of laws that, that uh, allow... Sinfulness, that's just disturbing, guys. I don't know who sat on that council on that board that actually agreed to that. That legislature. Yeah. I want to know. I want to see these people and talk to them. 
Well, interview him. Mm. So, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on that, but you can go do your homework on that. Jim, do you have something? I'm sorry. Go ahead. But all I want to say is now we have the hope. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's what he died for. And that's, yeah, hope. that's all we got. We got that hope. You're right, Jim. Okay. Uh, violence and corruption led to the flood, which devastated earth. Yet as humanity continued through Noah, sinfulness remained. Thankfully, thankfully, however, God's redemption plan unfolded throughout Scripture. God chose Abraham to be the father of a covenant people, through whom the whole world would be blessed by the coming Savior. Remember, remember, everything's type and shadow. It all points to what? It points to Jesus, everything. It all points to him. It's all getting him into the world, getting him in. So he can, he can um, become the Savior, so you can be redeemed, so you can have a relationship with God. I think that's serious stuff. Okay, um, Abraham demonstrated faith in God and trust in his promises. God called Abraham to leave his homeland to go to an unnamed place of God's choosing. God also promised Abraham that he would become the father of a great nation through which God would show his love to the world. God used Abraham to prepare the way for Christ as uh, all who follow Christ are Abraham's children, and amen. God's plan of redemption was preserved through seemingly impossible circumstances. Abraham was 100 years old, and his wife Sarah was 90 when God miraculously gave them a son, Isaac. Yeah, that was, that's a big deal. Amen. This began the fulfillment of God's promise to make Abraham a great nation. God's promise endured despite the failures of his people. Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, deceived his brother. Yet God shaped Jacob into a man of faith, appearing to him in the form of a man wrestling with him. Many scholars believe this was an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. I, from what we can tell, that is absolutely true. That this was an appearance of Christ himself, uh, the um, part of the Trinity. Now, I mean, some people might be confused about that, and they may say, well, but Christ, he wasn't on the scene yet. Okay, yeah, in physical form. But it, just because he hadn't arrived in physical form, still, he's part of the Trinity. He still exists. Amen. Even though he hadn't taken the form yet. We've got to remember that. There's nothing confusing about that. It was a spiritual struggle. Jacob desired God's blessing. Clinging to, uh, to God in spite of a painful injury. And we know he smote his hip. We don't know exactly what happened. Um, but it, it left a, a, a heavy toll on him. But in the midst of that, which is such a great lesson for us today, and I, I don't have a lot of time to spend on that, but clinging, this is, to me, an example for us today. Still, still remember, we're kind of going through history. We're looking at kind of how these applied to us and, and, and what we can learn from that. And you see Jacob wrestling with God, this, this wrestle. He's wanting something from him. He wants it. And so... That, that question always comes to me is, well, then what am I willing to do? What am I willing to endure? What am I willing to go through to stay connected with God? I think that that, right there, just forget excess for a minute. Let's, for a minute, let's just forget excess. Let's forget asking God for this or asking God for that. I think that this right here, clinging to God, is going to be challenged in the next couple months. Amen. I think it's going to be challenged. I think... I think that as, as, as time changes, I think God's people are going to have to cling to him in making an effort more than they ever have in the past to literally cling to him and to hold on to him. And, and, and so you, we have to ask ourselves that. How, how much do we really want to stay next to him? And I, and I love ministering the message and hearing the message from the angle of a blessing from God or something that we would need or want. How about we just look at it like just staying connected? And what are we willing to do just to stay connected? Uh, what on. are we willing to do just to maintain Christianity in our own life? Um, especially in a, in, a, in a country, you know, who are making decisions that are completely, completely against what we believe in. When, when are we going to stand up and say, hey, enough's enough? I'm not saying that you're not doing that now. But it, the, the church, you consider Christians in America and how many there are. There's a lot of Christians. There are, there are quite a few. Uh, we got enough to make some noise, right? Yep. Well, you got, there's enough Christians to have made it on the, uh, what's, the what's that list, Pastor? 
or the government is the terrorists. Yeah. That the church is considered a, a possible a potential terrorist group. What? Right. What are we at now? So, here, you know, we're to be viewed as that. So, there's potential. You, you, there's a lot of potential with God's people to make some shaking, to do something. They've already recognized that. Okay. Um, so, he suffered the injury. We're in part uh, section three. God preserved his people and his plan. Joseph was Jacob's eleventh son. And, became Joseph, and, and because Joseph enjoyed Jacob's special favor, his ten older brothers became jealous and sold him into slavery in Egypt. I love this story. It's one of my favorite stories of the Bible. Um, you, if you like comeback stories, this is a story to read. If you, if you like comeback stories and vindication, <laughs> that's what I like. If you like vindication, you like someone coming back and, and really uh, giving a good, making a good point, one of the best stories in the Bible. This story about Joseph. So, his ten brothers, they were jealous of him, sold him into slavery in Egypt. Yet this tragic story became a beautiful account of God's care and preservation of his promise. Later, God placed Joseph in a high position in Egypt's government as overseer of food provisions in preparation for a prophesied famine. It's, what's interesting about the way God does things with his people is that when you read these, and I've read them ever since I was a kid, and I, and I always want to express this and make sure that we're not falling into this, is it's so easy to start looking at it just like it's a fairy tale. It's like it's just it's just the story that I heard when I was in Sunday school, you know. That's that's great stuff. I really like the story, but you know, I don't know really know how it applies today. That think about what God did with Joseph by taking him and putting him in a position, preserving him. He'd been done wrong, but put him in not only a position but a leadership position, raised him up to be one of the greatest in the kingdom. And then his brothers discover who he is. And I'm just condensing that. You think, what a story. But it happened. It's real. It's historic stuff. It really took place. And so I think about, I think about um, how that applies to us today and, and how, we, how we often, well, I think maybe I should ask, how many of you have ever taken matters into your own hands? When you probably shouldn't have. And you, and you thought back. You go back and you think, I probably shouldn't have done that. I probably should have, well, let's, we, let's come up with a couple of different things. I should have probably been patient. Should have probably controlled my temper a little bit better. Uh -huh. I'm just naming some generals. Am I hitting any, am I hitting any oh, scores? Yeah. <laughs> that's, just, that's just good common stuff. I should have trusted God. Should have, uh -huh. should have, should have trusted him more. Should have let him fight my battle for me. Uh -huh. We have a tendency to want to always pick things up and toy with them. And, hey, when I say that, when I covered this, I was like, oh. Because I always feel bad because I've done it so many times. So when I, when I say it and, and we bring it out, I always feel that sting because I'm there. I'm right there. I'm that individual. I'm the one who lost my temper. I'm the one who said the wrong thing. I'm the one who flew off the handle. I made bad decisions. I didn't trust God when I needed to. But every one of us have that story. Amen. There, you know, there's nobody exempt. The whole thing. It's the... It's understanding that, that God, even though despite your craziness sometimes, and you giving in to your, your flesh, are there ramifications? Yes. But can God put you back upon the rock? Can, can, he, can he put you back into a place where you're in good standing with him? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I just, talked to a, uh, I just had a conversation with a brother recently, and him and I sat down for lunch, and uh, he... He was frustrated because he had he'd made a mistake. And he said, I feel like I've fallen off a, a really tall ladder and I fell all the way down and now I have to climb all the way back up. Amen. I said, well, let me, let me share something with you. And I said, so we talked about some very basic stuff. I said, when you go to God and ask for forgiveness, does he forgive you? I said, yes, I believe that he forgives Amen. me. I said, who have you wronged? And we talked about that. And I said, did you go to them and apologize? He said, not yet, but I will. I said, the moment that you go and you apologize, you make it right with them. And the moment that you make it right with God, if you've not done anything that against state laws, 
that caused some kind of crazy ramification. Spiritually, not only have you been restored, but you have been restored in totality. You've done everything you were supposed to do. I said, now, does our situation change sometimes? Well, sure it does. We make mistakes. We do things we're not supposed to. If you're speeding and you get a ticket, yeah. you're going to have to pay the ticket. Amen. Some of you are like, I don't have to pay no ticket. <laughs> you don't, they'll come get you. But regardless, there's, there's ramification. But, but how many of you, when that, when that, when that officer comes yes. there and says, do you know you're doing 75 and 65, the first thing you say is, oh, I'm sorry. Right? You apologize. You get that out there. And so once you apologize and once you pay your ticket, have you been restored? Yeah. It's done. But, some, but see, I'm saying this because a lot of times we get caught in our own minds. Yeah, amen. We get caught. We, we think that we've done something that has kicked us so far down the ladder that there's no will ever come climb back up to that place. And if you and if you haven't noticed it yet, and I'm just saying this to so so you can search this out in your own self, a lot of times those places that you think that you're at or think that you were supposed to, you know, get back to, those places aren't real. It's not. It's just a it's just a place in our mind that we think we need to be. And what's funny about that is is even if we got there, I don't think we'd even know that we were there. Life is life. Life has ramifications. Life changes. You know, I've, well, you've heard me say it before in here. I think that, I, I think that having a good prayer life is healthy, and, and reading the Word is healthy. I think we need to do those things on a continual basis, but I've, I've dealt with Christians over the years that have spoken to me, and I've talked to them, and they're constantly in a struggle trying to get back to the way they used to be. There is no getting back to the way you used to be because you're not Amen. that person anymore. Amen. That's not you. Now, like I said, you need to have a good Bible reading life and you need to have a good prayer life. But the person you were when you were in your 20s is not who you are today. The things you do now are not the things you did then. But how often do we get caught in a cycle of wishing it was the way it used to be? That's not, that. listen church, even on a biblical level, that's not healthy for us to get into. We're looking back. We're reaching back. We're like, well, if it could only be like this, and if I had only done things a little different, it wouldn't have been this way, but it had been some way because nothing ever stays the same. Nothing. I've, I, that's something that I've, I've not only have I learned, but I've, God's had to really convict me over that. Nothing stays the same. Their life is full of seasons. Amen. It is. And so you go through life and you make mistakes and you sin and then you ask for forgiveness and you get back up and you go at it again and and yeah, you think you look back over your history and you think, man, I just made a lot of mistakes and maybe things would have been different, but that's not who you are anymore. You're who you are today. And that's all you have. That's all we have. And so I'm, I'm, I'm saying that because I think sometimes we get caught in our minds about wanting to climb some imaginary ladder and try to be some individual that we are not anymore and that we need to find new ways. How many of you believe God is new all the time? New ways to read your word. New ways to pray. I've said that. I've said that. I've said, you know, I think about times when, when, uh, when me and the word was, was right next to, and I mean, I just had that thing with me all, all the time, and my morning reading was hot, and I complain. I'll complain about my now and say, God, I wish I was doing what I was doing back then. It would been better. And then he reminds me, he said, but your life doesn't look anything different, any different, I'm sorry, it doesn't look anything like it did then. Your life's totally different. So with the change of life, you have to find new ways because God is a new God all the time. He's always giving you new things. He's always, always fresh and always a fresh spirit and fresh ideas. God, it's us that gets caught in a cycle. And then we think God did something wrong when we can't keep doing the same thing. God's like, no, I get to kick you out. You got to go do something different. So, let's keep moving. Let's finish up, actually. We're getting close. Um, that famine led Jacob's sons to Egypt in a desperate search for food. God orchestrated all these circumstances to save the lives of Joseph's family. Uh, phenomenally. I mean, you think about what he did there. It's just unbelievable the way he worked that all together. In doing so, God also preserved his plan for the nation of Israel. Um, the history, guys, the, the listen. 
the stuff he did, I mean, did he know that these brothers were going to sell their brother into slavery? No, not necessarily. But he took it, and he capitalized on it, and he made it for his good. And that's, what, that's the God that I know. The God that I know takes situations that are lousy and dire, and he turns them and he makes them for good. Does he do it within your time frame? No. No, sometimes it takes years to actually see the good that God brings about out of a situation. We're, we're too often, we're microwave Christians. You know, we want, we put a minute on the dial and say, go. That's how much time you got. When I was a kid, my dad, uh, we, had this, we had this big old gaudy microwave. Y'all know there was microwaves back in the 80s. This thing was huge, and it had a time minder. Now, why they created this with a time minder, I don't know. But you would punch a number and hit time minder, and it would start counting down. This is how much time you got before the buzzer goes off. And the thing's not doing anything but keeping time. I guess that was popular back in the day where there's no cell phones. So anyway, my dad would go over to this microwave, and he would punch in a time, and he'd say, I want the kitchen clean in five minutes. Time minder. You better have the kitchen clean in that time. Or the buzzer go. When the buzzer went off, he'd get off the couch and come in there and say, See, we treat God like that sometimes. And you better give me my blessing. And I want it within that five minutes. I talked to another brother recently. I'm sharing this before you to you because I think it applies. I talked to another brother recently, frustrated. He said, I've given and I've given and I've given. And I just don't understand. I'm not seeing anything in return. And we had to have a good long conversation about returns with God, how they work. And that God doesn't always give the way that you think he should give. Uh -huh. Amen. And he doesn't always give equitably, meaning that God always gives over an abundance. But a lot of times we don't see the abundance of his giving because we're looking for an exact return. Does that make sense? I'll give you an example. Like, if you, if you said you fasted 40 days, or what, I'm just using that as an example. For some reason, a lot of Christians have this mentality that they want 40 days worth of blessings. You get what I'm saying? An exact return. Flip it. I put this time in with you. You need to give me this in return. That's what crazy is, is too. We, we even attach a monetary value to those things. And sometimes it even gets really iffy, especially if you're attaching money to it. You think that... You think because you give money, you should receive money. Don't get into that. You're gonna, that's slippery ground. Very, very slippery ground. I've seen a lot of Christians over the years disappointed, upset um, at God. They thought there was supposed to be a return. You know, God's not an interest rate. You know, there's not, a, there's not this rate of return with God that if you serve him, you say, well, I've been with him for 30 years. I go over here and I see this young, this young blood over here, this young buck over here, and he just got started. He'd get more blessing than anybody. God doesn't work in the way of, of those numbers. Uh -huh. Amen. He just doesn't work that way. And, and the quicker we figure that out, I, I think the greater in love we can fall with him. You know, unrealistic expectations is what really destroys a lot of people's faith. Unrealistic expectations. I don't remember where it's at, that one verse where it says, little by little. God will take them out little by little. If mm -hmm. He gave you all at one time. It would literally destroy you and would send you down paths that you know He knows would wreck you. Yeah. And if that's maybe the instance of some of the people in yeah. life they give, and it's like, oh, I need this amount of money. I need this now. I need this now. And it's like if I gave it all to you now, it'd just cripple you and destroy you and send you on a path to hell. It's like I can't do that. Yeah. And you just got to be okay with whatever season you're in. And sure. The little and little that you do get, you just after yeah. the Lord leaves you with it. Well, then I think too we got to get a, as we got to get away from always looking at God as a as a a monetary blesser. You know, He's you know we expect God to give us something tangible we can touch, and if He hasn't given us something we can touch, then He hasn't really given us anything, and that's completely false. Amen. It's just and it's a bad way to 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 get into thinking. Okay, let's finish this up. Um, I'm at the end of Abraham's descendants and switching down to that last two paragraphs. The story of the patriarch nears its conclusion with Jacob moving to Egypt, escaping the famine and joining his beloved son Joseph, whom he had believed to be dead. 
Jacob's name has been changed to Israel, a reminder God had promised to make his family into a nation. God was leading Israel step by step. Israel did not need to be afraid to go down to Egypt, for this was part of God's plan. The journey to Egypt was not just about food. It was part of God's larger purpose for his people. The children of Israel would be preserved. As time went by, Israel's descendants would face terrible trials and be enslaved, yet God would never leave them. For he was their God. The great story of the Bible was unfolding. And I'm going to read uh, what is God saying to us. I think that's where I'm going to close. I don't know. This new book is kind of different. So anyway, let me read this and we'll close. God created us in his image and Jesus reaffirmed this. When the Pharisees were trying to challenge Jesus and asked him about paying taxes to Caesar, he took a coin and asked them whose image was on it. Of course, it was Caesar's. Jesus told them to give back to Caesar what was Caesar's and to God what was God's. You are made, of God, made in God's image, and therefore you belong to him. Ask God to help you reflect his image to everyone around you. So, great, great stories that we've covered this morning. Um, it really does a great closeout here that we ask God as his creation, because we are his creation, he's a creator, as his creation, what he wants us to do. And literally, I mean literally guys, just bring yourself to him and offer yourself to him. Say, here I am. What do you got for me? What do you need me to do? Sean and I have talked about that. That's kind of hard sometimes because we're, we have so many ideas and so many opinions about what we want to do ourselves. But we know if you've spent any time in, in, in the kingdom, you know that your plan isn't always God's plan. And a lot of times, your plan is detrimental to God's plan. The exact opposite. God bless you guys. Thank you.